today I'm talking with Chris West. I have known Chris for probably 20 years. We met when he was in the Marine Corps, so he's a uh, former Marine, and I'll let him tell how, <laughs> how we met. We've kept in touch over the years, and I'm so thankful that we have. And so how are you today, Chris? And uh, tell our listeners how we met. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you. Um, Good. We met, it's definitely been 20 years, if not more. We met at a, uh, like a on-base bar kind of situation. Yeah. And um, we just, we hit it off immediately and uh, dated for a while back in those days and uh, have always been good friends. And you've been a good friend for me for all of this time in, uh, for various ways. But in our, like I said, our, our paths have crossed here and there and we've always been able to keep up and catch up. And so I see you're doing this podcast now, which is awesome. Thanks. Just for you. Thanks. And uh, I'm, I'm happy that you uh, asked me to be a part of it because uh, I appreciate that very well, much. Well, of course. I mean, I think throughout the years, like, you know, our paths have crossed. You know, we went many years without talking and then we would somehow, like, find each other pre-Facebook and catch up. And then, you know, we would fall away. And, you know, now with Facebook and technology, we stay better in touch. But you've kind of had a twist and turny kind of life and that's why I wanted to talk to you today because you know you're not the same person that you were when I knew you 20 years ago and most of us aren't but Certainly. you know your I think your values and life have changed and I wanted to talk to you about that and where your journey has taken you and of course at the end if you you know have any regrets and if you you know kind of would you want to be when you grew up? Did life turn out the way you thought it would? You know, like, what's your philosophy on life? You know, all those questions that, you know, our 20-year-old life, 20-year-old persona is totally different in our 40s <laughs> and yeah, everything that happens in between. So, um, you, you know, and you have a very good philosophical view on life. And, you know, those are the reasons why I wanted to talk to you today. So hopefully you'll share your life with us. Very cool. Yeah, I will, I'll, I'll do my best. And life has changed dramatically from when I was young. I, I was very fortunate. A good friend of mine, um, probably one of my best friends for most of my life, he was over. We had a, a fire in the backyard the other night, and, and we were just talking about how our childhood was really, it was absolutely priceless. And you just couldn't, you couldn't trade it for anything because we, we grew up in a very rural area. So there wasn't a lot of people and there wasn't, you know, Obviously, this is all pre-digital, pre-everything age, you know, where your bike was your transportation. And But you were, um, I don't want to interrupt you, but you um, are from Michigan, and that's where I'm talking yes. to you today. Uh, yes. You are in Michigan. Um, so yep. when I met you, you were in the Marines in California. Sorry, let's In California. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep, yep. you grew up in yep. Michigan. So prior, yep, I grew up in Michigan. And I grew up, I was, again, very fortunate. My front yard was like a lake. So it was a freshwater lake. Wow. So here you have seasons, and so you can do all the stuff that goes with that. My backyard was like a thousand-acre pine forest, and you know, and so then you have everything that goes with that. And there's two dozen kids right around our age of various levels, and we did everything you could imagine that you could do in that space. It was very, very free. We didn't really have a lot of parental supervision, unless you did something you know you shouldn't be doing. Right. They came into. <laughs> That would come into play. Right. But uh, that's how I would describe it. It was, it was very free. We lived very free. And um, it was nice. And so as I came up through school and 
I wasn't the best student. It wasn't that I wasn't bright or anything along those lines. I just, the, the system for school just wasn't my thing. And so sure. we have a long history of being in the military in my family. And so I uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps right out of high school and um, went in and ended up in California, which was just mind-blowing to me to go to California, Southern California, after growing up here. It was, it was night and day, the difference, you know, in terms of, one, the volume of people, the diversity of people, the landscape was entirely different with the mountains and the things that are going on out there. The ocean was a fantastic thing. And so it was really, it was a great transition to go from here to there. And uh, I was, again, just very fortunate, right place at the right time. I was between wars. And so we didn't really have conflict that we were dealing with when I was in the Marines at that time. Yeah, it was, it was I, I think back on that time very fondly as far as the experience of life at that time. Unfortunately, my perspective on it, the things that I valued and things along those lines were not kosher. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> what the correct word would be. They were, they were very much misaligned. How so? And I, I, I paid the piper ultimately. I was in pursuit of material wealth. And the, I guess in today's world, what you would call it, it would be the, that Instagram life to where this is what it looks like. It's very shiny, it's very happy. You pr I want you to be envious of the things that I'm doing and the things that I have, things along, you know, situations like that. So I pursued women, I pursued cars and fancy watches and clothing and that was very important to me, very important to me. And I would have no problem like, I don't know, if harming relationships to, for that end goal, I would have no problem. Like, you know, I guess we would say step on people, you know, that was okay. And it's not okay to do that, unfortunately. And I, there was a lot of lessons to be learned in that. And like you said, twist and turning and my life from 20 to 40, that 20 year span was an absolute, uh, horror ride roller coaster. So there's a roller coaster and then there's a horror ride. And if you combine those, that's pretty much what my life was. But why and do you think you were chasing those things? Do you think it was like ego? Was it insecurity? Like what? Like why? I think why? perhaps there was. That's a, you know, I never thought of it like that. From an in, definitely from insecurity standpoint. I grew up, um, you would say, poor, you know, relatively speaking. I mean, my parents were hardworking people, but we did not have a lot in terms of that stuff. Like other friends of mine who would say they would have a lot more than I did. And so I always, for some reason, even when I was very little, I remember that it like stuck with me. Like, Hey, well, how come he has a motorcycle, the dirt bike motorcycle, but I don't, you know, that's not cool. How come he has a snowmobile, but I don't things like that. And so that always like burned me because I wanted those things and not understanding that there's no, you know, happiness doesn't come from things. I didn't know that at that time. I just wanted those things. And that, as I grew, that grew. And once I, you know, was an adult in the world and could then get those things, I didn't, I didn't stop. You know, I just kept going, kept going, kept going, and uh, much to my detriment. Yeah, but you weren't, you were very successful in the Marines. You uh, picked up rank very quickly. You got mm -hmm. to do, you know, various things that most people don't get to do and so you're not like you're not afraid of hard work you weren't like trying oh, to no. like 
do things the easy way. It's just you would have done whatever it takes to get those things, right? That is that is correct. Yes. Never like I wasn't a lie, cheater, or stealer, nothing like that. I very much my father. My father was uh, an interesting, or he is an interesting guy, but he he has an amazing work ethic, and so that's kind of where I got that from. So hard work never shy away from, even to this day. I will work right. until I can't work anymore, and so it wasn't along, you know, it wasn't so much trying to take the easy way or the shortcuts or something like that. It was just all of that energy and all of that hard work going into something or going towards something that was going to have very little return on that investment. You know, like you said, I, I, in the Marines, I was, I did pick up rank quite quickly, you know, because I, I understood it quick. You know, I understood it, how the system worked in the Marines, what it took to get promoted. I knew I wanted to be promoted because I didn't like working parties. You know, when you're a junior Marine, what that means is, you know, you get a whole bunch of junior Marines and you go do some like really crappy work Mm -hmm. under the, you know, being yelled at the whole entire time. And so I didn't like that very much. And so I said, okay, I need to pursue this and uh, get promoted quickly. And I was successful in that. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) So how did it all fall apart? Uh, you, You were in the Marines for how many years? I was four years active, four years, uh, reserve. So eight years total, and then um, I was discharged September of 2000, so a year before 9-11. Wow. I was out at that point. How did you feel when that happened and you were no longer active duty? You know, that was kind of a shocking day. Obviously, we all remember it, but I I guess it was a sense of defend the homeland you know what I mean? Knowing that if I had to be a part of it, I certainly would, but I didn't, it wasn't like I called a recruiter and said, all right, I need to go back and go fight the bad guys. It was nothing like that. But there was the reserve units around my area that were being, you know, called up and, being, sure. and then shipped over and that kind of thing. But I simply, you know, I wasn't a part of it. And I guess that's as far as it went at that point, because I was at a different stage of my life and different stage of my career. You know, it just, again, if I had to, I certainly would, but nobody... That phone call never came, so right. I, just, I didn't have to. Right. Yep. So you chased these material things. You got out. What did you do when you got out? And um, if I remember correctly, you had a lot of success after you got out of the military. You had a really good job, and then that's when things kind of started falling apart. Yes. Well, I had. I was that guy who uh, I was married and divorced. With a, with a young daughter before I could even drink legally. So before I was 21 years old, I had gotten married, I had a daughter, and I had then gotten divorced. And so, and again, that had a lot to do with that image in my mind, the, the person that I was pursuing not being able to develop like a really, you know, a strong relationship. And a lot of that has to do with emotional maturity, I think, at that age. And I was not very emotionally mature, <laughs> if you will. And uh as a result, you know, that kind of came crashing down. But that that had a really negative effect on me. And so the rebound to that was to, well, let's go get married again. And so that's exactly what I did. I met another girl out there, and we ended up getting married. Um, we had two children together. And that, you know, there was a brief moment there because my career had taken the right path, and I was doing really well, and uh, I had all of those material things. I did. I had a beautiful home. I had shiny cars. I had a family. I had the fancy watch. I mean, I was like, okay, I'm doing it. I'm making it. I'm doing my thing. 
but the whole time there's something inside that still is empty and I keep trying to fill it with these things, but yet it's still empty. And the more I tried to fill it, it almost seemed like the more extreme the actions that I would then take or the things that I would pursue, it became much more extreme to where I essentially left my wife for this other person, which is a terrible move. And it was like once I made that decision, slowly but surely, it all came crashing down. It was like death by a thousand cuts, or I would imagine like a dam, you know what I mean? A little bit comes out a little bit at a time, and then you got this little spray of water, and then this spray of water, and then the whole thing just cracks and gives, and then disaster. Did you? So you, were you conscious of this void that you were trying to fill, or do you, is that in hindsight? I was very conscious of it. Yes. Yes, I was. And hindsight is even more focused, I guess, but I was quite conscious of it at the time. Quite, and people even around me would say, it's like you're trying to fill a hole inside of you. Like they would tell me that, you know, like they could also see it. So it was pretty obvious, I'm guessing. So that was that. It was. Uh, so that, that decision I, you know, to leave your family for somebody else, that was that like, that was the crux. That was the <laughs> kind of. That, the, that, was, that was a catalyst for just an absolute train wreck disaster and that was the catalyst that did it it was like it was a it was a house of cards that i was living in you know what i mean and then that wind came through and just blew it away and it was my own decision to do it and i again this is a no regret podcast i almost said and i really regret doing that and I have tremendous remorse, I should say, in doing that. But again, the life that my that you know my wife at that time and I were pursuing was false. It was very false, and we I know this for a fact because we attempted a few different times to uh, reconcile that, and it just it always came back to the exact same thing. So to me, I'm thinking, okay, well, there's a chemistry here, or there's like a mutual pursuit that isn't worthy of what we're you know or authentic. It's not authentic. Yes, that's a good. Yes, thank you. <clears throat> and it's more t- we're, we're more playing tug of war as opposed to pushing the rock up the hill together. So they're ideal for me. You know, this is how I see this person, you know, judging from going from their perspective to me was also not it wasn't square. It wasn't authentic. And therefore, that, that's not going to produce anything other than something detrimental, basically. Right. That's essentially what it was. Yeah. yeah so if I remember correctly, you lost your job. You lost all your material things, like, and what happened? Yeah, and what happened when you went to this other relationship? Did you lose that too? Um, well, there was two separate incidences that were essentially the same kind of thing. So it was this image of this person who I thought, you know, that's the person I'm supposed to be with. It is an image. It isn't a heart and soul. It isn't a personality it isn't any of those types of things this is just a look and so this is the look I want this is the trophy I want on my arm per se mm-hmm. and and that, that was two separate situations and um, both of which happened to be relatively speaking there was some instability there and it, it the reverberation of that it, it was damning I mean it was quite damning and like I said lost a six-figure job Lost a, a beautiful house. I, I literally lost everything. I lost my cars, everything. I was down to like boxes of my stuff. At the very end of it, I mean, it was, you know, the, the, 
the thoughts of suicide and all of that were very prevalent and very, you know, bubbling at the surface. I had to like get out and I called my family for help and my family came and saved me essentially. And that was about, that was six years ago that that, that it all ended essentially. Wow. So that, that, all of that happened over a pretty long term span. Long, then. Yes. Yep. So you carried this for, if you got out in 2000, six years, my math at sea, it's, you know, 13 years. Yes. Yeah. At least. So you kept up this like facade and not really looking and searching for a long time. For a very long time. And I remember at one point when, when I reached what I would say my first mental breaking point, it was in October of 2010. My youngest daughter had just been born. She was, a, um, she was born in May. And so this had been, she had been about five months old at the time. And the dynamic between her mother and I was so volatile. I mean, the police were involved multiple times. I mean, it was, oh it, it was, a, it was an extreme of a, of a situation that I have ever been in as far as an interpersonal relationship. It was very, very bad. And I just kind of lost it. And I had a company car at the time. I'll never forget it. And I drove to the auto detailer. I had it detailed. I drove to San Diego Airport, and I had about three or four thousand dollars in cash on me and I took a plane and flew to Las Vegas and I checked in at the Motel 6 right down the road from the MGM and it was I was very maniacal I guess would be the right word it was just, this was like a mental mania that I was experiencing and going through and it was very bad and I remember sitting in that hotel room <clears throat> thinking it dawned on me for the first time like my mortality basically like something was telling me you have sustained that BS facade for 13, 15 years now, and here is your face, like you're now faced with death. Like this will end in death if you keep doing that. That was made very, you know, present to me. And so... Like what kind of... Was it like something you just knew, or was it like... I, I don't it, know it, if you're it, an overly religious person, but like, you know, was it a voice? Was it just... What could somebody to me, somebody in your situation is usually not aware of those type of things, but right. it like really came. It was like so loud that you just could not not hear it. Right. That is correct. It, it, it's like it hits you in the chest kind of per se. And it was it really was. It was very clear. It was like that moment of clarity that said, you're going to die, dude. If you keep doing this, you're going to die. And it was very and I believed it. Said, oh yes, this is true. But how were you going to die? I mean, you weren't into drugs, right? You, uh, mm, if I remember, no. you've never been a big drinker. You're not into drugs. You just, you were going to die by. I would say, who knows? You could put myself in a situation where I mean, I could really get into detail. I don't know. It might blow your audience away. <laughs> but. <laughs> Just, I mean, let's just, say, let's just say that you're on this on this road, okay? So there's this road that you are traveling on. We're all traveling on this road, and so this is your road. This is the one you're on, and there are there are peaks to it, there are valleys to it, but you keep traveling on this road, and all the various things that life throws at you comes at you on this road. You can get lost, and you can veer off, and you can veer off into certain paths and certain areas that you should not be in and kind of like say if you're out hiking and you're going to try to, 
to tackle this particular trail that you've never taken before, and it's much more difficult, or it seems like it's easy, but it really isn't. Next thing you know, you fall off, and then you fall off a cliff and die. So I guess that's how I would say that. Like something along the lines of where I'm going, a situation is going to happen where I'm, I'm not going to survive it. And it could be anything. It could be a car accident. Someone could murder me. Some, I could get caught up in who knows what. Right. But it wasn't going to end well. I could, I could maybe get into drugs or who knows, you know, that, that could happen as well. I meet the wrong person. Next thing I know, I'm a crackhead. And, you know, I get caught up in something. Who knows? I just know it wasn't going to, it wasn't going to end well. And I, at that time, I had thought myself this great gambler. And so I was playing a tremendous amount of cards. The reason I had three to $4,000 in cash in my pocket was because I had just won a poker tournament prior to that. And so I had a lot of cash in my pocket and I thought, okay, I feel good about this and I'm going to go to Vegas and be a poker star. You know, I literally, that's where my mind was at that time. It was just madness. And so, yeah, that was a really low, low moment. So you didn't, you, you went to Vegas, this Motel 6, to gamble, or did you, like you said, you had thoughts of suicide. Was that where you were going to end it? The or? suicide thoughts actually came much later than this. This was the kind of like the point of like, just a, like when the beginning of the end of that life, of that old life. This was kind of like the beginning of the end of it, and how fitting it's Las Vegas, the city of sin you know, to where that was going to take place. And so to me, Las Vegas represented the apex of that material life. It was the apex. You could live in great excess. I used to take trips there constantly when I was in Southern California, try to stay at the best hotel. I would rent like high-end cars while I was there to just, you know, have the impression that I'm this great guy driving this really sweet car and I got this beautiful girl and, you know, Asinine, absolutely asinine when I think about it now. But at the time, holy cow, that was so important. That was so important to me to be able to do that, to prove to the world that I'm, you know, I can, I can live that life. Right, right. So I am living that life. Yeah. So you're sitting in the motel room and you realize you're going to die. So what happens next? Do you have this I go epiphany? And every. Oh, you, I go no and epiphany at this time still. No, no. Definitely not. No epiphany. No, I go and gamble every penny I have, every single penny, gone. I saved just enough to get a flight back, and my second wife came, and um, just as, like, my computer was actually running out of battery and my charger had broke, and so I didn't have a, a way of charging my computer, but, like, my very last message was, I'll be at the airport at this point, and she came there and picked me up. And God bless her because she took me back to their house and gave me, like, bags and bags of groceries and dropped me off at my house down in uh, Temecula and there I sat you know with nothing no job I have no car I have food that was given to me by my second wife who had had zero responsibility to do that because I had done anything but be good to her you know what I'm saying and so that's where that was at that point it was bad that was a very low point. I think I and saw you during that time, too. I was just going to say, <laughs> about a month later, I, you know, I, I called you at something, probably Facebook at that point. Facebook was very much going at that point. So, yeah. And then uh, what I had done 
it's down to my last draw. I cashed in my retirement. So I had a 401k that was pretty significant because of uh, all the work I had done to the 10 years up to that point. So I cashed that entire thing in. And um, that's what I was surviving on. But yes, you came out and we hung out for a while and I spent family or Christmas Day with your family in the morning. And uh, yeah, we kind of hung out a little bit at that point. Yeah. Yep. But that was a really... It's cool that you were there. It's cool <laughs> that you were there. I mean, it, it meant everything to me because... You know, I was in a low, low, low place. So then what happens from there? Like, at what point do you have this epiphany? Or do you never? Or It came sometime later um, when I was working. Um, you didn't go to back to Michigan at this point, right? I did not go back to Michigan, no. No, I stayed in California. And <clears throat> I tried, you know, odds and ends to try to get things with that, that job I was working at to try to get that to work out again. It just never did. And I read a book at that point. It was, it's called Ishmael. It's written by Daniel Quinn. And it was suggested to me by a friend from a previous job. And I read that book. I read the whole thing in one night and literally went to my job the next day and quit. Because that thing, that emptiness inside of me, I, I had found the very first breadcrumbs of to say, this is what it is that you're looking for, dude. Here it is. And it is not material. It is not a look. It isn't an image. It's nothing along those lines whatsoever. And finally, because ever since I was little, like really small, I always had the sense that all of this stuff that's around me is all well and good, but I'm, there's something I'm missing. I'm, there's like something not there that should be there, or at least I should be aware of it. And I never knew what that was, but this book kind of helped me to say, okay, well, here's some breadcrumbs. You can, you can kind of start down um, and, and pursue this instead, and maybe what you are looking for is going to be, you know, you'll be able to find it, or at least attempt to find it in a, a different way than what you were doing. And so that is what started that. And, but again, all of, all of the karma, the reverberation from all of the things that had happened in that previous 15 years were all now present right here in front of me saying, time to pay the piper, time to pay the piper, buddy. And I had to pay the piper. Oh, man, I had to pay the piper for all of that. And that, again, took another probably three years. And at the end of that saga was, okay, I'm just ready to kill myself now, quite literally ready to do it, ready to just end it all because the burden was a lot you know it really was and I felt like an incredible loser here I am I have four kids can't support them I'm basically homeless you know what I mean and it was just it, it was overwhelming it was a lot and so at the last second I called my mom and she uh, she said yeah we got you a plane ticket you're coming home so then I came back to Michigan and I've been here ever since and, uh, yeah, different days today. But that, you know, and that, again, that was in the end of 2013. So that was about six years ago. So now, so what have you been doing to make amends or heal the past or change, heal yourself? What has been that journey like and where are you today with that? Like what's your perspective on life now? And, like, what have you healed and what have you worked through and where it is today versus then is being mindful trying to be very thoughtful and trying to be considerably more selfless than I have ever been prior to now 
And so I don't, I really try to be mindful of the present moment, like right now. And there's a story in the Bible about Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and Lot's wife and Lot and Lot's wife looks back after God says, don't do it. And she looks back anyway, and she turns into a pillar of salt. I think a lot of people are familiar with that story. And to me, that's kind of what I don't want to do. I do not want to look backward. I, I lived it. Those experiences are in me. The, all the energy that, you know, that happened in that time is out there already. There is no reason to look back because it will turn you into a pillar of salt. And I think a lot of folks already know that, though. You, you know, that's very well known, right? You cannot dwell on the past, those types of things. You just have to understand it and kind of move forward. So from that angle, I'm not really looking backward, and I'm continuously looking forward and really trying to live in the moment and take in as much information and pursue various schools of thought and try to connect with various people who are, you know, maybe like-minded, maybe not like-minded, but to learn from people and to try to just be a lot more selfless now. And kind of my new mantra is, what can you, what are you giving back to the world? What are you giving to the world? Everyone's a taker. We're all takers. But you've been given immense talent in some respect for something that you can do. And you should be able to then take whatever it is you're taking that should run through your talent. And then it should come back to, you know, times three, times 10, times 50, depending on, who you are and where you are, you know, as it relates to that. So that's sure. really my mindset now. It really is. And uh, I try to, every day to get out there and, and to do that and try to, try to be a positive effect on, you know, those that I come into contact with. Sure. And, I, oh, and, and feel like the people who, because I have a, a, a contracting business where I do landscape and homework and things like that. I come into contact with some very interesting people who I always feel like now, like, okay, well, the universe is here putting these people, we are connecting for a reason. Sure. It isn't just so I can do work for them. It's so that I can learn and grow and that kind of thing, or perhaps there's something more I can offer this person, or I can help them, or they can help me, you know, in that respect. And so I really try to look at it like that, or I try to see it for that's what it is. So it sounds like you're a lot more humble. These yes. days, you know, you're living in rural Michigan, don't have cable, <laughs> like the complete opposite of, cable. <laughs> yeah. of don't, what? yeah, we, we don't watch television. We have a television. We don't watch it. We do. I mean, I work 12 hours a day right now currently. And so, you know, I come home and go to bed, but you know, we don't, my family now I got remarried or I call her remarried, but my current wife um, is a godsend, which is wonderful. And uh, we have a very good life here, very good life. And we just try to every day to just try to make it a little bit better, one day at a time, as they say. Right. And uh, things, are, things are very peaceful, things are very calm, and uh, I could not be happier as a result. I really, I'm, I'm, I'm so blessed and so fortunate to, to have landed like this through the help of the folks around me. I guess, it, you know, I'm not an entirely bad person. I certainly used to be, but there must have been just enough you know, to where like, okay, it isn't going to, it isn't going to take the ultimate, you know, I didn't end up in prison or I didn't end up dead or severely injured or something along those lines, which could easily happen to people every single day, you know, and yeah. so I'm just fortunate. So Very fortunate. I, I want to talk about like the years from, you know, how did you make amends? How did you, what did you do to work through your shit? Like, what did you do? 
I mean, it sounds like you honestly, read a book, honestly, you know? It's it's not it's not done yet. The amends have not fully been made. I have four children who range in age from 25 to 10, and only one of them do I have a consistent relationship with, and that's my son. He's 21, and he's the only one I have a consistent relationship with. My youngest daughter is autistic, and so, and her mom and I are oil and water. We do not get along at all, and so we don't. I have a very poor relationship. The relationship I do have with her is always it's very jovial, very fun. You know, her world is entirely different, which is great in my opinion. The amending aspect of things is still very much a work in progress. It isn't. It isn't. Uh, we haven't reached the end of the rainbow. You know, we just haven't. It's. It's still very much a work. my oldest daughter, especially, because she, she had to go through a lot of stuff um, on her own and. So there's a lot of work that needs to be, there's, just a lot, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. But, you know, again, that's something I'm pursuing every day. I'm very conscious of it and uh, trying to get to the right spot to where, the thing I always tell them is, look, time is continuous. So we always, the time just keeps moving. So our time, we will be able to make the most of it. It'll be more than it could ever have been. That really is my philosophy on that, that our life is meant to be much more than it ever could have been you know, under some other path that we were on at the time. So do they, do they blame you for a lot of things or they just were too young when all that happened? Your kids? Essentially. Yeah. They were very young. Um, I mean, I was, I was standing right there when every one of them was born. And usually by the time they were three, I was no longer in the picture. And in some cases I was there like my middle two children who I probably have the most consistent time with. That lasted much longer. My son was like a sophomore when I was when I left the last time, and my daughter, my middle daughter, was probably third or fourth grade. So, but my oldest daughter, I mean, she was born. She couldn't even hold her own head up, and I went overseas, you know, for six months, and I didn't come back for a year and a half. And then I came back, and she could talk. She was walking. It was just like, who is this kid? Her mom had moved on. She was already with some other person at that point. So, and she and I are very much aware of this. Like we, uh, that bond was really never, we was never really able to take place, unfortunately. And I was so young at that point. I look at pictures of when she was a newborn and I am just this side of being a newborn myself. <laughs> you know, I'm just like this kid, like this little kid who has a baby. Look, I have a baby, you know, it's crazy. So, um, but she lives here in Michigan, believe it or not. She only lives maybe 30 minutes from me, and I talk to her every holiday. <laughs> you know, basically Christmas, Easter. Mm. She'll text me on Father's Day, you know, that kind of stuff. So it's very, very distant. And we've had conversations here and there about various things, but she lives in an entirely different world, entirely different world. She, and she's 25, you know, she's pursuing her life. She has her guy who was a Marine, by the way. Oh, and, Yes, <laughs> but uh, I'm very proud of her. She has got her degree, and um, her mom did right by her. I will say this. I always pick good moms, that's for sure, because the moms have always, they're fantastic in that respect of being a mom. Very, very good. My kids have, you know, have benefited tremendously as a result of having good moms. Good. Well, what do, you, what do you, what advice, before I ask you the typical questions I ask, what what advice would you give my audience as far as like just your philosophy on life besides 
Like, what are you giving back to the world? Like, what else would you tell somebody just from your experience and your life lessons? What a comprehensive, like, this is what I've learned. This is what life is about. I don't think any of us know. I really don't. If I had to say, I would say, don't listen to people who are trying to tell you how to live your life. Everyone today is trying to tell you how to live mm, your life. You have perfect. to live your life. Do this. 12 steps to this. Nine ways to do that. Five things you need to know for Monday. You know, everybody through these screens and these digital channels are all telling us how this is how you need to live your life. And to me, that's all BS. It's all bogus. Your life is yours to live as you see fit. And in my experience, number one, own the, own the means to your own production. Don't go work for somebody else. Own the means to your own production. That, to me, is a very important thing. It, it took me a, a while to learn that one. I've always tried entrepreneurial things and business-type things and with various levels of success, but more uh, higher levels of failure. <laughs> <laughs> and so... That's one of the other things that I would say to pursue because you have talent, you have gifts, you have whatever, and you need to create your production based on that. Now, production, we think in our capital system, you know, you have to create this means of existence. You have to survive. You have to do all these other things. Some people say, well, you have to have a job. You just can't start a business. I understand that. But you should learn everything you can and then and, – and, own the means to your own production. That's a really important component to that because then your time is your time and your energy is, is given to the things that are the most important, you know, for you and for your uh, aura, you know, <laughs> I guess in a spiritual sense. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. And that's a big one for sure. And be on the lookout for all the signs that are everything, they're everywhere, Everything and everywhere, that's another thing I always say, everything and everywhere around you is there to help you. You just have to be cognizant of what they're trying to tell you or of, the, of navigating. And so I want to go down, you know, here's a, here's a crucial decision I have in my life, and I'm thinking about various things. And in my experience now reading and understanding various you know, philosophers and mystics and things like that, religions and all these other, you know, all this great ancient knowledge is your thoughts essentially will manifest into reality. They really will. They truly will. And it, it may not be a tangible reality, I mean, or not a tangible thing, like something you can just pick up and hold, but something will happen. And if you're paying attention to it, you can then kind of like a... a like a conductor of a symphony, you can then kind of play out the song that you that you envision for yourself. You can kind of direct that, and don't be you don't have to be so susceptible to these unknowns and these um, challenges that come out of nowhere. You know, you can kind of avoid or, or really soften a lot of that. That probably sounds confusing. No, no, no. I oh, yeah, no, I understand. Um, just basically your thoughts, uh, become reality. Think good thoughts, right? And Think good thoughts, but also pay attention to how that manifests itself and you'll see it. Sure. You'll absolutely see it. Quick example. Um, I'm working for a guy a week ago and I, I have just this, I have a sense of kind of animosity toward him and 
I don't know why, but it's just there, and I'm, I'm not happy about it because I can tell this is a person who's under immense stress. And because he's under immense stress, he is then trying to, like, use me in such a way to help him alleviate his stress, but without any regard for me personally. He just, I'm just going to use you. You'll help alleviate my stress and throw you away at the end of it. Very much like I used to be. And I can sense, and I'm, I have hostility toward him because of this. And in the course of my work with him, I have like a horrendous case of poison ivy now. And to me, the only reason I have poison ivy is because I had tremendous animosity toward him. And sure. I thought that, and boom, here you go. This is what you get. And now, now for one second, is that not the case? It isn't a coincidence. You know, right, right, right. That's exactly why I got poison ivy is because I had animosity towards him. Yeah. And in the course of the work, there you go. This yep. is what you get. Yep. On the flip side, I am working for this other couple. No question there is there is an abusive relationship that's going on. Okay. This is a lesbian couple who lives here in Ann Arbor. There's an abu- one is abusive to the other one. I can tell that she lives in fear of her. She continuously used the word conflict when she describes their interactions. What I'm doing is I'm building a garden for them. And so, but money is a major issue like it always is, right, with everybody. We can't do this because it's going to create conflict, Chris. But I like this kind of plant. I like hostas. I like peonies, whatever. And so I'm like, all right, well, let me see what I can do for you to build a garden basically from nothing. And this is, God is good. The universe is good, okay, because my wife and I here at our house, we had bought a bunch of plants that we wanted to plant. And through the course of my work, I'm just too busy. I have zero time to do it. And so I have like four or five plants here at my house. I'm like, okay, cool. I can now take those plants and I'll just use them in their garden. There you go. No problem. No conflict because it's not going to cost you anything. This sure. is great. So I load it all up in my truck and I'm driving. I turn two corners. Again, I live on dirt roads, okay? This is how rural. I live on dirt roads. Everyone's house is like... 20 acres away from everybody else's. And so I turn down this road and there's a giant sign. I've never seen this. I've lived here for over a year. I've never seen this. And in the end of this person's driveway is a giant sign that says free. And at the base of it is four absolutely beautiful hosta plants. Beautiful. Just sitting there free. And I was like, I got chills. I'm like, praise the Lord. You've got to be kidding me. Like, Here's, I need this. I'm on my way to go do this. Wow. And right in my path are these plants. It is not a coincidence. I am thinking these positive, and it manifests itself. There it is. Go get it. It's about a simple, and that is a very, like, on the nose, as we used to say. I used to write movies, and they would say, when well, you know, you don't want to write on the nose. But that's the most on the nose version of what I'm talking about. But it gets much more subtle than that. It gets much more subtle than that. And I'm sure maybe you've experienced it yourself. I'm sure you have. Yeah. But there are really faint whispers that you can also kind of connect into and say, ah, okay, yes. You know, it's like an affirmation, confirmation kind of thing or a, the opposite of that. Don't do this, you know, or slow what you're doing or maybe rethink what you're, what you're going through and, uh, and you can look for these things, and they are in our physical world. And you can certainly feel them spiritually, but um, you can also see them in a physical sense. Sure. They're there. Sure, but it's about being mindful. It's about yeah. not letting our lives be a distraction. Like, 
we're so busy constantly all the time just with work and social media and just it's easy to become distracted and caught up into like the business the busiest of life and I, I've noticed like a lot of people just you know they don't have time to be mindful or to meditate or pay attention because they're always like go 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 but mindfulness is so important and you know being in the present moment so you don't miss something yeah I think that's a lot of um, you know generally speaking a lot of our issues is that we just don't slow down enough to like appreciate those things or to see the signs or to see what's coming or whatever right correct yeah yes absolutely it's easy for and you because you live in the middle of rural Michigan <laughs> but for by somebody, choice yeah by choice I did not used to live in rural Michigan I used to live in North Hollywood California which is the, the epicenter of activity of humans you know it's right there on the edge of Los Angeles and it's what 10 million people in and out buzzing just going 150 miles an hour so I didn't I chose to remove myself from that and it was it, it, it was it was huge in terms of being able to then ah, breathe reconnect with the natural world around me and get away from that human nature which is both good and bad you know but it's for me personally, it was mostly bad, and the influences are, are you know, they lean us. I mean, there's a reason that our, our society is so mentally ill right now. There's a reason for it. Hyperconsumption is certainly one of the reasons, um, and everything that goes along with that. But we're, we're quite ill right now, quite ill. And I'm, I, I have great concern about where this is all heading to or where it's all leading to, and I, I have great concern for good friends of mine who live in those large metropolitan areas like you <laughs> and, you know, other near and dear friends and that kind of thing because I just, I think the writing is on the wall. I don't, you know, I'm not sure how long that we can sustain this without it becoming um, disastrous, quite at a, on a significant scale. I really don't, I hope that isn't the case, but it's almost like we're creating it. Our society is creating it. Our cities are creating it. And it can't happen fast enough for some people, I think, which is just mind-boggling. But, yeah, take time. Hit the, hit the time out. Time out. Yeah. You know, take a time out and go and Reconnect with nature and, yeah. Reconnect and with nature. Nature and... And, and each other. Yes, and exactly. And each other. And... <laughs> Be Take nice to your fellow humans, you know. Yes. yes. Be be a reasonable person. Be a rational person. Be reasonable and rational. Jump to conclusions that we have this, you know, we've been programmed now. Media has programmed a good portion of the, I don't know, the more susceptible minds have been programmed to immediately, instantly react in a negative, emotional, angered hate with the, the book 1984, Orwell, you know, the daily hate is how they started their life in that society. And that was, or the two-minute hate or whatever it was, but they, everybody got to start their day being mad at the enemy. You know, today it's Donald Trump, and who knows what it's going to be next election cycle. I'm very concerned about the next election cycle, by the way. I have a feeling there's going to be immense chaos. It would not surprise me if somebody was, or some people were severely injured, if not killed, in the next one. And uh, I have great concern over that because as American citizens, we're much better than that. And, but uh, unfortunately, the programming that has taken place 
through this vast connected world that we live in, you know, it, it, it seems like the bad is always outweighs the good. Yeah. You know? Yep. Programming is an interesting word, and I don't know if a lot of people will understand that, but I totally believe that is happening through, you know, news and whether it's fake or real and <laughs> social media and just people believing whatever they're being told. And it's just, and I think the truth is a lot more grotesque than we want to believe you know, these fake news, it's probably the truth, be, but nobody wants to believe it because what would that mean? I just think there's a lot more atrocities out there than we can ever imagine. And it's, it's yeah. heartbreaking and, and sickening and all that good stuff. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, man, using the, the term man is just short for humanity, not man versus woman, but humanity does wicked constantly they are wicked i mean that was in the bible it was like you know that's why god flooded the earth basically because man does is just constantly wicked and that's exactly what's going on use the word atrocity i couldn't agree more uh, we probably it would blow our minds if we actually knew what was really happening right oh there. my gosh so that and a lot of which is so that we can live the way we live believe it or not so we can live in this hyper consumption society the reason that that's all happening is because we need resources from all these other places to keep to keep this ship sailing to keep the big box stores open and things along those lines to keep amazon going and all of these you know this this hyper consumption world that's going on every one of us is guilty of it myself included nobody is free of this right very few maybe like 10 people you know at that so I saw a billboard in L.A. one time. It said, you're not in traffic, you are traffic. You know, <laughs> and it was like, yeah, that's such a good point because nobody is, you know, not guilty of it. And so to take the time out to be conscious of that and try more and more and more and more to be conscious of that, to be conscious of that and try. And that's what, again, I don't want to tell anyone how to live their life. You know what I'm saying? I can only say this is how I'm doing mine. And it, it compared to how I used to do it, Man, this is so much more um, correct, I guess. There is a harmony now that's getting more rich by the day. I find like a harmonious way to kind of, you know, go through and do this. And it, it gets more rich by the day. It really does. Maybe right now it's just like a little piano. Mary had a little lamb on the piano, you know. But... In a little bit, it'll be a sonata, then it'll be a concerto, and then it'll just go on from there until it's, you know, the Fifth Symphony. Sure. Like but I have noticed that, you know, if you try to go against the grain, it, it's really hard to do because then people look at you like you're yes. crazy. Yes. But you have to... I... I... Yes. That's exactly <laughs> right. That is exactly right. People, what they call self appointed defenders of the status quo. That is what that is known as. Because people, it, you're, by challenging them, you're challenging who they are as a person and how they relate to all these things. It isn't politics or it isn't a belief system. This is who I am as a person. Donald Trump is the absolute devil. You know what I mean? And to say, you really are disconnected from Donald Trump in every way, shape, or form. You have absolutely no relationship to him whatsoever. 
you see it coming through screens because people are telling you all these things, but you're not in the billionaire class. You are not a politician of Washington. You're not a policymaker of any kind. You don't sit on any kind of think tank that's going to influence anything. You're just a person who's living your life. And I think I read somewhere, like over the course of your entire lifetime, you're only going to have a meaningful relationship with about 150 people. That's it. You're going to come into contact with about 1,500, and we'll call that acquaintances, and about 10% of that, you mm. actually have a meaningful relationship over your whole entire life. And it seems like, man, it'd be much more than that, but it, it really isn't because you only have so much time, obviously, depending on what you do. Now, if you're Tony Robbins, obviously, that doesn't count. Again, these are averages. Right. So he's a guy who's in contact with thousands of people daily. So, but the average person who's out doing their thing, none of those things matter. None of the names that you're going to be called matter. Oh, did you just call me a name? Who cares? You know, so sticks and stones kind of thing. So I try to be more conscious of that also. And it's a challenging thing because the way that I look is somewhat opposed to the liberal community that I live in. And I, I get it a lot. I can see people who look at me in a very non-trusting way because I kind of, the, the image that I present is one of, it, it can make people hostile in, the, in where I'm from. It, not where I live now, but in there are certain pockets of where I do live where that's not accepted, or they don't, you, don't, you wouldn't trust someone who looks like I do because I, don't, I have a shaved head and I have a pretty significant beard. I have trimmed it, but it used to be much more than this. But, and so people look at that like, oh, I don't trust that guy. You know, it's interesting how that relationship works. It's all by judging a book by its cover. We're all guilty Certainly. of it, unfortunately. We're all guilty, and we've we've been conditioned to do so. And in many respects, it's a it's a say you know it's a good for us. There's some things you can say, okay, yeah, I need to get the hell away from that. That clearly is bad, you know what I mean. But in another sense, if you put your own obstacles in, in front of you, you're not going to be able to see you know the destination, or you won't see the reward. You're only focused on the obstacles. Sure. So you miss out on the reward as a result. Sure. So, what's your definition of no regrets? I, you know, I'd probably hearken back to that, that uh, lost wife. You, can't, you just cannot look back. You cannot look back. It will turn you into a pillar of salt. And that is the only good for deer who will come up and lick you. You know, you don't want to be salt. You know, you just want to continuously move forward. And everything that's been done is done. It's over. It's over and done with. And you cannot change any of it. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. You can't unring the bell, you know, all those cliche things. And so don't regret it. Do what you have to do to keep going forward. And, and learn and, from it, you know, right? And learn from certainly it. learn from it, yes. Like, I think there's, a, there's another saying that you don't always have to make the, the right decision as long as you can make that decision right. And so something like that. Hmm. And that's kind of how I try to... And it's important, especially because like a person like myself who lived that chaotic 20 years, there is a lot of guilt that comes with that. There's a tremendous amount of remorse, a lot of guilt, a lot of shame, things like that. And it's, it's, a, it's a real burden. And it's a really heavy pack that you, and you don't have to, you can take it off. You don't have to carry that pack. There is no reason for you to carry that pack whatsoever, as long as you're not adding to it. You're not building a new pack. You're, you're going to be pack-free or weight-free and get rid of it. And you, it'll open up quite a bit. It'll, it will. You, um, clarity, you'll have much more clarity. You'll be able to 
to be able to get in that that wave, that connection. It's much easier that way without all that weight, without right. that burden. Right. Right. As yeah. long as you're moving forward in a, I don't want to say better manner, but you've learned from that, mis- you know, your past and you're moving forward in, yes. you know, a more meaningful, positive way. Agreed. Yes. So do you have any regrets out of all these years? Do you have or do you not regret anything? I regret nothing. I regret nothing. There's a line in a Pink Floyd song that goes, if I had my way, I'd have all of you shot. And I changed that to say, if I had my way, I'd have everything I've got. And that's how I look at it. If I had my way, I'd have everything that, I, that I've got. And I have had my way, you know? And so everything I have, I, I earned it, good, bad, or the otherwise. And so being able to kind of like, emotionally mature in the way that I've been able to do, fortunately, spiritually mature, and then just keep keep stepping forward under that new guise, under a better guise. I don't want to say it was like a flip a switch and I went from shit to great. You know what I mean? That's <laughs> definitely not the case. Right. Again, there's still a lot of healing and there's still a lot of things that need to take place in my life and I'm still working on all of those things. And it probably never ends, to be honest with you. It probably never ends. I could be 70, 80, 90 years old and still think, here's a relationship I need to, to, to work on. I have a great-grandson who I have yet to meet. You know, the things like that. Who knows what's going to happen in the future? And it probably never ends. But you just have to continuously, you know, get up and, and try to do your best with it. Well, that's beautiful. So thank you so much for talking with me today. I don't want to keep you. I know you've got a lot to do this holiday weekend. But um, thank you for your time. And it was so good talking to you. (laughs) Always a pleasure. Yeah, I know. I agree. So thank you. And um, yes, it was great. Thank you for sharing your life with us. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. And uh, best of luck to you with the podcast. I think you're, just keep doing your thing. Yeah, I just, I feel like really quick, uh, yesterday my uh, friend and I went to visit a mutual friend, her husband is terminally ill with cancer. I mean, he's oh, no. in his 80s. And, you know, it's really hard to go visit somebody who is dying. But you have to Certainly. do it. And a lot of people, you know, don't do it because it's uncomfortable. But you have to do it. And we're always talking about no regrets. And, of course, he's, you know, laying there going, I really want to go fishing. And I want to go to New York. And, you know, he's thinking of all these things that he wants to do. And it's like, this is the whole point of my podcast. Don't wait till you're on your deathbed to be like, man, I really want to go fishing. I really want to go on this trip. Do it now. You know, like don't wait and then go visit the people that you care about when they're warm, not when you're visiting their grave. Who cares how uncomfortable it is? Go. So that's the point of this. That's very, yeah. I mean... We don't, you know, it kind of goes back to what you're saying of how busy our lives are and how, you know, we pretend. And my, uh, maybe people's lives really are that busy, but we, we create that busyness on purpose because what is it we're, we're trying to avoid something? <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. And so shift it so that, you know, you can do all those things that, you know, you feel like you need to. Like that. I totally agree with that. Yeah. Totally agree. So I'm hoping that... And, I also agree with the go visit the sick. 
Go, you know what I mean? You really should. You can't put that on you because it's not you. It's, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. You have to go and like be a positive light for this person who's at the end of theirs. And a good friend of mine committed suicide last week. Oh my God. And I didn't know. I just saw his obituary and I was like, are you, what happened? You know, what the hell? How did this guy die? And I was out mowing and it just dawned on me like he killed himself. And I'm like, oh, and I talked to my friend. He's like, yeah, he took his own life. I'm like, God damn. I had no clue. He's a Facebook friend of mine. He was a good, not a good friend, but we were certainly friends in the school. And uh, all of a sudden I noticed on his Facebook feed, he kept putting like really positive picture, beautiful pictures, sunsets, all this other stuff. And I see that now and I'm like, he's like, he's fighting that battle. He's fighting that suicide battle. And basically he's trying to, the good is trying to win. And very sadly, it did not. The dark one. Oh, man. And I didn't recognize it for that. I just thought the guy was happy living a good life, saying, look, yeah. look at this beautiful sunset. Look at this. No, it was not the case. He was really battling, and he had an alcohol problem and things like that. I didn't know. Um, not that I'm like some savior or anything, but I certainly would have attempted. You know what I'm saying? I absolutely would have reached out and been like, dude, come over. Let's hang out. Have a bonfire and talk shit. You know, whatever. Who knows? And his course is going to be his course. But try to be that positive for people absolutely you never know you never know man well and, and social media is such a facade too because we only put oh, the good yes. <laughs> we only put the good moments up anyways and so or we try to pretend that life is so great by putting all these Correct. positive we don't put you know not i don't think all of us would want our real truth out there anyways but you know what i mean so that's yes, that's very absolutely. deceiving very true very true so, okay, I'll leave it with that. All right. 